this week's text and last week's text are very connected. And so this is sort of part two of what we're looking at. And so our text starts in verse 1 and 2 of chapter of Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming. Did you hear that? All, not some of them. Not some of them. Not a few. All of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, tax collectors were mainly Jewish men who purchased from the Roman officials the right to collect various taxes, various customs and tolls. And so you can imagine this system was rife with abuses. Historically, we're told that the tax collectors were politely hated by the Jewish population at large, not only because they were, uh, uh, were, were uh, looked at as unpatriotic and looked at as dishonest and greedy, but also because their job made them ritually unclean. Therefore, they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship. So devout Jews saw the tax collector as being alienated from God. And so these tax collectors were coming near to Jesus and listening to them, listening to him. The other group coming near to Jesus are called sinners. Verse 1 says all tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. So this might sound strange to us, such strange to us, because in one sense we know that all people are sinners. But it it, it, it didn't sound strange in Jesus' situation. It didn't sound strange to the ancient people. For the Pharisees and the scribes and for devout Jews, the term sinner was used to describe a class of people who were marked. Firstly, by their unashamed or unashamedly immoral lives or questionable occupations, as in tax collectors, and there were many others too. And these people were not respectable Jews and would have, they would have nothing to do with them. And you can see an example of that, uh, of uh, who Jesus has in mind in Matthew chapter 21, verse 32, when he says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe him. And secondly, the term sinner was used to describe people with certain diseases or disabilities. And many a devout Jew would take as a sign that they committed some great sin, therefore they were sinners. And we see this in John's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. It says, As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So once again, such a people were physically and morally unapproachable in Jesus' day. So here's the scene that no doubt was common within Jesus' ministry. These people, these tax collectors, the prostitutes, the disabled, the diseased, were basically the social and religious offscouring. They were the outcasts. And they were coming to Jesus and he was welcoming them then. And he was eating with them. This was so obviously offensive 
and morally incorrect that the Pharisees and the scribes didn't even have to give a reason for their displeasure. All they had to do was state the obvious fact and the guilt was plain for everyone. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's all they had to say. Guilty. Case closed. We know from ancient historical Jewish sources outside of the New Testament some of the uh, principles and the guiding principles of the Pharisees and the scribes' behaviour. One ancient Pharisaical document said these words, Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him to the Torah. In other words, the Jewish religious elite were all about separatism and ritual purity. And this took precedence over winning someone back to God through forgiveness and restoration. It took significance. So Jesus was unclean. Jesus was lawless as far as these men were concerned. And to add fuel to the fire, he joined the sinners and ate meals with them. Even more, Jesus said in Luke 7, 33 to 34, For John the Baptist has come eating, has, has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he had a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is seen as ritually unclean. He's seen <laughs> as lawless. And he is guilty of the same self-indulgent drunkenness and gluttony that they associate with sinners. So when Jesus welcomes <coughs> sinners and, and eats with them, he has just let was he was was he just letting his hair down and having a bit of meat time? Was he boozing it up? Was he picking out? Not so. Luke is putting his gospel together in a certain way to make some very to make some things very crystal 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 clear about who Jesus is. Luke chooses his accounts very carefully and puts them together to make a very, very salient point. So let's go back to chapter 14 and revise, because that's what we looked at last week, and walk through with Luke right up until our first opening verses in chapter 15. And let's see how it speaks to the impact of Jesus eating with sinners. So first, we had the apathy towards the man with dropsy, or to put it in a 21st century medical terminology, he had an, a, an oedemal disease. And in Luke 14, six, sorry, Luke 14, 1 to 6, Jesus goes to eat with uh, a Pharisee on the Sabbath. And we, we, we remember that from last week, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath. So we need to be very careful here. Not to say that Jesus only offered his acceptance and fellowship to tax collectors and sinners to eat with them. He also ate with the Pharisees. So don't miss the obvious point here that Jesus is moving among non-disciples. Jesus is moving among non-followers. Then a man comes who has dropsy. And he, he was swollen from from an abnormal accumulation of fluid that were in his, was in his tissues and in his, his body cavities. Now, some cancers we know today cause dropsy. So this man is possibly dying a slow death of cancer 
and his body is all swollen up and he's lying, begging for food or money or, 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 or comfort outside of a rich man's house because he might receive just a morsel. And so here is one of those people whose appearance did not help people feel pleasant. Jesus asked the Pharisee if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. What happened? Silence, wasn't there? There was silence. So what did Jesus do? He went and healed him anyway. What was the response after Jesus healed him? Nothing. No worship, no repentance from the hardness of heart, no praise, just <coughs> silence. Secondly, we had the picking out of the places of honour. In verse 7 of Luke chapter 14, Jesus noticed how the guests chose the place of honour at the table. And why did they do that? Well, Jesus puts his finger on it in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Luke chapter 14, verse, verses 11, uh, 7 to 11. In other words, these people are not so in love with the praise, uh, so these people are so in love with the praise and the approval of others that they could not see the glory they could not see the glory of self-giving love. So why should they worry or care about a man with a gross disease like dropsy outside of the compound? He is, this, this, this man with dropsy is diverting the attention away from their main concern and that is how to be, to be thought highly of. They are blinded to the hardness of their own love affair with their self-exaltation. So Jesus tells them in verse 10 that when they, they, they are invited to a dinner, they should go and recline at the last place. Because in verse 11 he says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And one of the great cravings of our sinful human heart is the pleasure of being exalted by the importance of the people that we know and the people who we spend time with. We feel a kind of additional significance when significant people take notice of us. And if we love this feeling enough, it will make us indifferent to the unimportant people and eventually make us contemptuous towards them. In other words, there is a close connection between the first issue in Luke 14 and the second issue in Luke 14. There is a close connection between the apathy towards the man with dropsy, the disabled man, the sick man, and the craving for the best seats at the feast. Craving your own honour binds us to the beauty of serving the lowly. Thirdly, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, Jesus says in Luke 14, 12 to 14, Jesus presses the issue of self-exaltation in a very striking way. And he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your <coughs> relatives or rich neighbours in case they may invite you in return. And you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. And you will be blessed because... They cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is saying to this man who invited him, you and your friends devote your life 
in a kind of mutual admiration society, to, to hang each other over for uh, dinner and spend time with each other. And when you get together, you vie for, the, for getting the most attention from each other. And as a result, it, it, your life is one of upright indifference to the poor, of upright indifference to the crippled and to the lame and to the blind. And why is that? Because there is no payoff in this world for your self-exaltation. They cannot invite you back. The poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind cannot invite you back. They, they are a kind of black hole of charity. You can give and give and give and they stay blind, they stay lame, they stay maimed and poor. So they cannot invite you back. They cannot repay you. But then Jesus says there is a reward if you love the outcast. There is a reward if you love the unimportant. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, the power to give free or to get free, the power to get free from the bondage of self-exaltation and apathy towards unattractive people is to love what God will be to you in the resurrection. What God will be to you in the resurrection. More than you love your hobnobbing with the important people and the pleasures of a closed friendship circle. Therefore, what, what frees you and I to live radically for others in this world, in the 21st century, is the confidence that this world is not the main world. The confidence that this world is not the main world. And then Jesus goes on and talks in Luke 14, 15 to 24, and Jesus launches into a parable about a banquet. It's a picture of God's invitation to the great banquet of Christianity. In verse 16 it tells us a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. But one by one they refused to come. In verse 18, one bloke had a field that he had to go and see. Uh, and another had to go and check out his five yoke, uh, his five yoked oxen in verse 19. And another one had just married a wife and couldn't come. But notice, it's not evil things that held these people back. It wasn't evil things. It's just the ordinary life that keeps people from the kingdom in this parable. People who just live as if this world is the main world. So in verse 21, the host of the dinner in the parable says to his servant, go out at once into the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And notice that this list of people in verse 21 is exactly the same list of people in verse 13. So Jesus had already told them before that when you give a dinner, that they should invite the outcast and the poor. Now, he is telling them with a parable that this is what God does. He is telling them that the God they claim to worship, the God that they claim to serve, that God's heart, that God's heart is expansive towards the poor, that God's heart is expansive towards the crippled, the blind, the, the, the blind and the lame. God's heart is expansive towards unimportant people. Luke 14, 23 says, 
Then the master said to the slave, Go into the roads, the lanes, and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. And so the connection is made with Luke 15. We can now see it clearly. In Luke 15, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, with, with the wholly unimportant people. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling about it. So what is he doing eating with the, the outcasts and the unimportant? Well, if you come to church or if you listen to my podcast, you'll find out in the coming weeks. But Jesus has already told us and shown us in Luke chapter 14. God intends for his house to be full and for his eternal food to be enjoyed. So he sends his son to give his life as a ransom for many. And the ransom Jesus, that, and, and the ransom who is Jesus, the one who was sacrificed in our place, the one who lived the life that we should have lived, Jesus, that who is our exemplar, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, personally calls the guests to God's heavenly banquet. But the scribes and the Pharisees are too much in love with the seats of honour and with the ordinary things of this world, their fields, their, their oxen, their families. They're too much in love with their stuff to care about heaven, to care much about the prostitutes or the people with dropsy or the people with bad reputations. So what does Jesus, our exemplar, and the author and the finisher of our faith do? He goes to the roads, to the lanes, to find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the tax collectors and the sinners, and he eats with them. Which means he gives them a foretaste of the Father's offerings, a banquet with the accepting forgiveness of the Son of God. What's he doing? He's showing the Father's heart and filling the Father's house. That's what Luke 15 is all about. I want you to see this morning that it's not just Luke 15, it's also Luke 14, which we looked at last week. It's the whole Gospel of Luke. Indeed, it's the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 19 verse 10 tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He sought them, he received them, he ate with them. And he saved them. This is our life and our hope that we have a saviour like this and a father like this. And what chapter 14 makes plain is that to be saved by Jesus is a call to be like Jesus. To be saved by Jesus is a call to be like Jesus. But there's a risk. There's a risk to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. There's a risk to inviting the sinner. There's a risk to inviting the grateful and the ungrateful. There is a risk for a people who are so satisfied in all that God's promises, in the kind of a sacrifice and joy Jesus promises in pursuing the lost. You will not be invited back. There will be no reciprocity. There will be no reciprocation. You will not get to sit in the seats of honour. It's risky. 
not letting your fields and your oxen, your cars, your televisions, your stuff keep you from serving God. It's risky not letting your family keep you from the sacrifice and the joy Jesus promises in pursuing the lost. It's risky. And so this week I invite you to seek with me the Lord's power in this calling. The sacrifice and the joy Jesus promises in pursuing the lost. Because as Jesus promised, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and are not worthy to be called your children, yet that is what you call us once we put our faith in Christ. Thank you for receiving us into your family. Thank you for receiving us like lost sheep back into the fold. We thank you, Father, for seeking us out as a shepherd would seek out a lost sheep, as a woman would seek out a lost coin. You show us how much you value us, that you do not leave us in our lost state, but sought us so that we might turn to you. Help us to accept the joy that fills heaven over each sinner that repents. Help us to share that same joy. Please give us the privilege of seeking the lost and and, and returning them to you. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.